I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, along with Amy Donaldson. I'm Jason Lee. Today we are joined by our esteemed colleague, Dave Cowley. He is the host and creator of the award-winning investigative reporting podcast, Cold. And if you have not heard it, I don't know where you've been, because uh, <laughs> a million people, literally over a million people listen to it. And today, though, uh, we're going to kind of ask him for his expertise, because at one time or another, we were all reporters. News and reporters. so we, followed, we, we actually follow the news on a daily basis as part of our job. And we we still kind of follow it. And yeah, the, the one thing of. about it is yeah. <laughs> addicted. Yes, yes. I, I've just been thinking I need to ease up on the on the consumption of news. It's a terrible thing for a reporter to admit, but it is um, there's a lot going on, which is one of the reasons why Jason and I wanted to have like a bit of a roundtable um, because there's just so much happening in the news right now. So I want to start off with uh, kind of political division. And we talked a little bit about this uh before we started this discussion, you know, um, there's always this, oh man, we, we, it seems to be this huge division between left and right, you know, conservative, liberal, uh, black, white, I mean, well, any uh, minority for that matter. And, and is there a way to bridge that gap as we move forward? Because it seems as though, at least from the, uh, I always say that the people on the ends who are making the, the, the loudest noises yeah. seem to be screaming at each other the most. It's just bumping heads. And they, there never seems to be this sense of let's just have a civil discussion like we try to do on this show. And one of the things I, I, I kind of come back to is, for instance, I have a Black Lives Matter sign in my window. And I live in Utah. So certainly in my neighborhood, I'm the only one with such a thing. Though in my same neighborhood, I have uh, been a firsthand witness of a vehicle driving to a church in my neighborhood with a, a Confederate flag hanging off the back, you know, in, in one of those things. And so when a guy drives around, it's like this at, at the church, which is still very bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those are two very disparate uh, incidences. But if, if I'm in my neighborhood, I don't know that you could ever talk to those people. It's, especially with the Confederate flag. But if somebody had like a Trump sign and, I'm, and if I went down the street, I might I don't think I've ever seen one because I did ride down there uh, a couple of times last summer. I I wouldn't know where to begin because Amy talks about, you know, having that happen. And, you know, what would that be like uh, the talk over the fence? And the truth is, potentially, if, if done the right way, you could have a conversation. But if we do it the way it seems as though we're um, 
you know, having uh, conversations in our public discourse these days, it would be just horrific. And uh, Amy, you mentioned the phone call that a GOP lawmaker in Washington got mm-hmm. after uh, voting uh, of, uh, for in favor of the infrastructure bill that recently passed in Congress. It's the bipartisan infrastructure package. So it's liter- it's what um, our senator Mitt Romney and a bunch of other uh, congressmen or uh, senators got together and said, let's let's craft something that we can agree on. Let's find where our common ground is and let's create a bill that carves out just that. And that's what they did. And and that just recently passed and it got bipartisan support in the House as well. Not a ton. I think there were like 16 or 17 Republican senators who voted for it. So it's mostly Democrats. But there was this crossover and one of them was Representative Fred Upton and he just got this pretty – it was just a f bomb laced e- uh, voicemail that said, um, "I hope you more die." Profanity than other words. Yeah, I hope mm-hmm. you die. Mm-hmm. I hope your staff dies. Um, and so, I guess for me, I've been hearing so- a lot uh, lately that the division in this country is not as bad as it seems, and that's really exaggerated by us as media people, and that our coverage it's always the media's fault. Yeah, and that our coverage is focusing on these extremes and not enough on the people in the middle who agree. And I have come to be persuaded in 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 just and this is a lot of it is firsthand experience as now that we're not doing daily news what am i consuming How, who am i interacting with on my social media and stuff like that and i feel like the division is pretty significant i don't know that it is as bad as the extreme ends you know make it out to be but and and i definitely think we give way too much time to people who are a small minority of Who's people. the loudest. Yeah, and 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 I, but I do feel like there's a pretty big division on how we move forward and what's important and where the priorities should be, and really how we have these discussions. Because mm. I think that's the thing that has been hardest for me is I don't see good, um, you know, really vigorous but also respectful um, debate in public places, and maybe. I, and I watch – I'm a weirdo. I watch some C-SPAN. I watch some of the debate over this infrastructure bill because I wanted to see. And I just see grandstanding. I just see lectures. I just see entrenched people trying to call people over to their position. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I, I'm curious, Jason, when you're talking about the flags in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean you mentioned having a Black Lives Matter flag in your own window and it makes me – want to ask you what would your response be if somebody came up to you not knowing you right yeah, yeah. They, they drove by they see it you're out in your yard and they come up and they say why are you flying that dang flag well if they come with me like that that's a bad way to start but, well so but you will have people who not knowing you not mm-hmm. knowing why you're flying that flag they perceive you don't it think they would know i'm just i'm playing devil's advocate okay. here. yeah uh because i imagine you're you're going to have mixed reactions from people right you're going to have people who come up and want to slap you on the back and say i support you and thanks for flying that flag you're going to have people who disagree with it because they perceive it to be a thing so if they come at you with that kind of energy what do you do to try to turn it around into something where you are having that kind of a conversation well first thing i would do is i say okay a ease up because if you you don't start uh, with uh, a confrontational point of view if you if you want a, a civil uh-huh, discussion uh-huh. and so i try to uh whoever that person is i say okay well if you want to have a constructive uh, conversation i'm good but if you keep with this attitude we're not going to get anywhere and then we should just you know move on with our lives so i would try to dial it back a little bit and hopefully 
and and I've I've used this uh, thing before. It's hard to hate up close, generally speaking. If people really, you know, there's always, like I said, these ten percent of people who are screaming at you. But I I don't really get people yelling at me or or coming at me in a way that is disrespectful right offhand. Mm. So, and in my neighborhood, certainly not. But I, I would say that if they wanted to have a discussion with them, I'm good for that. Because I could explain – well, first of all, it would be a very easy discussion to have uh, because I am into racial and social justice. As a person who has been black for the last 56 years, <laughs> I, I feel like I have a good sense of what injustice looks like, what it feels like, and what can be done to at least address it. Yeah. I mean, rectif- rectifying things is you know, that's a whole other story, story. But I think I can do that in a way that is palatable to people in a way that's, and can be constructive. However – Folks got to be willing to listen. Mm-hmm. If they're not willing to listen, then then nobody's going to get anywhere. And so, I mean, if I'm mowing my lawn and they uh, have me stop doing that, if if I couldn't get anywhere with that that first line yeah. and, and trying to diffuse it, I just crank up my mower and keep on going. <laughs> I, it's funny. I've been thinking a lot within the last number of days, couple of weeks, because the DOJ came out and had some findings regarding an investigation into the Davis County School District. Mm-hmm. And I went to school in Davis County. I grew up there, and it really had me reflecting back on my years. Now, granted, this was you know more than 20 years ago that I was in high school, but you're talking about a, a, a part of this country where it is 97% white, in these schools. Mm -hmm. And I could count on one hand the number of non-white students in my graduating class. And uh, there are names that popped into my head where I thought, you know, when I was a teenager, did I ever stop to ask so-and-so about their experience being a non-white student in the school? Like, what responsibility do I have to to open those kinds of conversations to challenge myself to step outside of my bubble? and so, I, you know, I think when we start looking at who's flying what flag and and I think so many of us are entrenched in, well, I perceived, uh, you know, growing up as a white student in Davis County to be this. I never saw any racial injustice. And therefore it doesn't exist. And therefore it's <laughs> not a real thing, right? Yeah. And, and, and you hear people who mm-hmm. who could say these kinds of things. And, and I think it's incumbent on all of us to step back a little bit and challenge our own perceptions and say, mm-hmm. well – Maybe I didn't see it because I was never forced to see it. It wasn't my experience. Right. I think I guess that's my overall, and Jason's giving me the wrap-up signal, but I I think that overall that's been my, what's pained me the most the last month or so. And that is that there's not a lot of listening with empathy. There's not a lot of governing with empathy. There's not a lot of decisions being made um, based on what someone is telling you they're experiencing. If I tell you guys what having a baby is like, you have to trust me. I've had a baby. I know what labor is. <laughs> and I, and I never will. Yeah. No, and so you, but you, you kind of, we kind of, men and women have made this agreement. Like, we'll trust you. You tell us what's happening and we're good, right? So I guess I just don't see that kind of trust in our experiences. When I come to you and say, I'm experiencing sexual harassment, or Jason says, I experienced racism in a police stop, or whatever. We don't trust each other in that way. And that's what's really been causing me anxiety in the last little bit, especially in news coverage and dis- and public discussions. When we come back, we're going to switch uh, topics a little bit and talk about something that's going to affect all of us for the next decade, literally uh, redistricting and how it's done in states across the country to gerrymander and make it so that one side keeps all the power all the time. You're listening to Voices of Reason. 
stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with Voices of Reason, Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson. Today speaking with Dave Colley. He's the host of the award-winning podcast, Cold. And by the way, what's uh, what's coming up? Uh, have you started Ooh, a new season? We're in between seasons. We just uh, earlier this year finished off our second season, which was looking at a, a missing persons case from 1985, the disappearance of Joyce Yost. And with that now uh, a, a bit in the rear view, we still have a couple of little things, uh, follow up on that we're working on. We are now kind of casting our eyes afield to what season three will be. Nothing to announce there yet, but okay. it'll be coming. And I, and I will say this, because I, I have recommended cold sometimes, and people will say, I don't like crime podcasts. And I will say so that, that. It, is, it is absolutely so much more than that. And really, these are issues that impact so many people's lives, and you really should take the time to listen to it. It's not like a co- an episode of Cops or something. It's, it's a deep dive on how the criminal justice system in particular, and, and really us as a society – view and process these cases and what impact that has on whether or not they're solved and how they turn out and and then how the families move forward. So there's a lot of moving pieces and it's not just a crime podcast, but it is there is a crime. Well, obviously, involved. it's exceptionally well done. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I know you're a long time, but I'm like, man. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> well, and if I can just plug the work that Amy, you did with our companion podcast, Talking Cold. This is something if you listened to season one, the Susan Powell case, you knew it. But you haven't listened to season two. We did something different, which was we tried to expand the conversation outside of the main narrative of the case to talk about some of those issues. And you were integral in doing that. So thank you. Yeah. And I mean, we heard from people like it had an impact on people's lives. And I think that was the goal in doing cold in the first place. Yes. That's part of how you know you're doing the right thing when when folks tell you that it impacted them. To me, I feel like that's that is uh, some kind of confirmation that, you know, you're on the right track. Yeah. I know a lot of people think that we journalists are part of a, you know, (laughs) secret. Yeah. But but honestly, I mean, if somebody came to me and was like, hey, you got to join our secret society. I don't care about that. But getting that feedback from a yeah. listener who says mm-hmm. your story really moved me and changed my life in this important way. I was a way. victim and I didn't really realize the impact right. that, it, that this had on my life until I heard this podcast yeah. and listened to that discussion. And I think that's that's the part that's been really – but I would encourage everyone to – I always encourage people to – I always do too. Very, to very subscribe kind. and listen and it's uh, – that's the great thing about pods. You can find them. I Where, found whenever you, right, right. podcasts. They're waiting for you. They're always yeah. there. Yeah. They're waiting. On demand. Okay, so – Let's talk about redistricting. <laughs> Which, you know, okay, hold on. We got we okay. so we, we can't do that because and I'll tell you why. My sigh. <laughs> I understand why you sigh, but mm-hmm. it's so important and it, it it literally shapes the way our politics looks for a decade and this is from state to state, right? Mm-hmm. Because who whoever the winners are, they get to, you know, they look at the census they look and at they the, draw the, them. The, and figure out how they want their districts yeah. to look. And that's why you have these salamander looking things because they figure out a way to make it so that they have the least chance of losing. Mm-hmm. And, and How can they hold on to power? In red yeah. states like ours, it's not that hard. Honestly, I don't even know why they bother with it much. They only ever lose – only had a chance to lose one and now they've figured out a way not to make that happen. Yeah. And for the – I will give credit to the GOP. They do a better job 
of they're more politically savvy and astute about using the tools that are presented to them in a way that's politically advantageous to them. All right. Now, they may be sinister. And, you know, I've, I I don't have a person. Come on. Sorry. Amy. Sorry, sorry. They, uh, I, I don't have a personal like for the people like Mitch McConnell, but he is a political genius, evil though he may be. Mm. So I, I give people credit for that. Here in Utah, they already have a, a huge, what's the word I'm looking for, um, advantage politically because mm-hmm. it's it's as red as red gets. But in this most recent uh, circumstance, the electorate chose to have a uh, vote to say they wanted an independent nonpartisan commission mm-hmm. to create a map for uh, redistricting. That would be palatable, you know, generally speaking to everybody. But that's my problem. So the voters vote and it was narrow. It was they only won by half a percentage. Everybody likes to point this out. And I'm I'm going to acknowledge that up front. Half a point, half a percentage they won. Um, And so this independent redistricting commission, which a bunch of people were appointed by the people who are in power Mm -hmm. and 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 they have public hearings all over the state. They submit, I think it was 10 maps. Um, that divide the state in a, a myriad of ways that address uh, a bunch of different issues. But that w- one of the things that drives redistricting is not just winning political power. That's what politicians think about. But what communities think about is like communities of interest. So what do we – my neighborhood might have common interests. And I'll give you an example. During the pandemic, um, if you lived in Salt Lake City, your feelings about whether or not there should be in-person school – um, how remote learning took place, whether or not you wore face masks, whether or not vaccination drives would be part of a school experience. Um, those things were different than, say, a rural community that generally did not want to have the government giving them or, or dealing with any of that stuff. And some are different. Every community is different. But those, that's just one example. And so when you tie what might be happening in Mount Pleasant, Utah, to what's happening in West Valley, Utah, when you tie those two communities together and they get one representative, I would argue the Senate is that statewide representative. The Senate has to worry about everybody. The senators have to. Representatives usually are very focused on their community that they represent. If you dilute it or tie these interests together that are very diverse, I feel like you take away the voice for the people who already dealing with systemic racism and injustice, right? So you're already disadvantaged by systems that are in place. And now they've, if you looked at where they cut these lines, every concentration of communities of color were cut in half, sometimes into three. And I think that is my problem is even at the state level now, the representation for people in Rose Park is tied to North Salt Lake and and now the avenues, which the avenues, that may not be a bad thing. But I, I just feel like what do the upper avenues and Rose Park, there are things that they're going to really differ on, right? Should they have the same representative? They can have the same senator. I feel like my frustration is voters did exactly what they're encouraged to do by politicians. They got involved. They went to public hearings. They Some people submitted their own maps. Those people are very commendable. I did not do that. I just followed along. And then to have the legislature disregard all the work of this independent redistricting commission and just come up with their own maps in secret on a late on a Friday night, vote on it on Monday and Tuesday in a special session. I just felt like it was – 
Um, and then to ha- I felt gaslit by uh, a guy that a friend of our program that I really like, Governor Cox, when he said, you know, if you don't like this, vote for people who feel like you. And just so you've now created districts that these people can't win and you're telling them to vote for. How will we how will we find representation? It's very chicken and egg. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, Dave. Well, and I think that's the frustration that people have in the process. Those who were now, let's be honest. A large portion of Utah's population is not paying attention to this and does not care. Uh, you know, or in any state, but because this is happening correct, around the country, correct. by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You have people who, if if they can be convinced to vote, they may go vote in in the large general election in November. They're not voting in municipal elections. They're not following redistricting. Mm-hmm. But for those people who are engaged, I, I think that's a very common refrain that you're hearing that people feel they do feel disenfranchised because they they were under the belief that because of this independent redistricting commission, their voices would carry some weight, some weight yeah. other than has happened in the past. And Suckers. what they've seen in this process is that that didn't necessarily play out. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back in history, though, I mean, getting that independent redistricting commission put together, part of the political calculation that went into it was One to, to get it over that finish line. They had to make it non-binding. Otherwise, arguably, it would not have passed. So mm-hmm. are those highly engaged people who are frustrated by the way this turned out angry enough that they will go back to that ballot initiative process and try to reform their independent commission? That's Or what will I, they sue? Uh, there actually has already – Better Boundaries is already talking about forming a PAC and there's a bunch of – a myriad of things that might happen and – I just say the one thing the governor did say that I agree with is don't disengage. Like if you're mad. It's hard not to disengage after something like that just yeah, but, happened. But I would say like this is – if you think this is what they want, then make sure they don't get it. Right? It's sa- the same thing I feel about allowing racists to take our flag and make it a symbol of hate. Fight for it. You have to stop. You you cannot stop. If you get discouraged, go read Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, uh, letters from Birmingham jail. It will it will help. I promise. Okay, I'm going to let Amy have the last word on that. When we come back, <laughs> we're going to talk about something all each one of each one of us has done as a journalist, and that is cover courtroom news on a variety of levels of different kinds of cases. Uh, this one kind of tying it to a nationally prominent case going on uh, near my hometown in the Midwest. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Voices of Reason, Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson, joined today by Dave Cowley. He's the uh, host of the reporting co- podcast, the investigative reporting podcast, Cold. We're talking today about a variety of things going on and, and issues uh, in our uh, you know national dialogue and state dialogue as well. I want to get to uh, courtroom coverage. So I am from Chicago, as everybody knows, who ever listened to this show. <laughs> and uh, in Illinois, uh, well, I, actually, this is Wisconsin. Yes. So, no, no, no. I, I'm sorry. That's, okay. this, this is... In Illinois, because the the crime happened in Illinois. All right, the cr- he crossed over. No, he crossed yes. over. Yeah, the border. Right. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, there's this. There's a, a Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he murdered uh, two people. Uh, and no, saying murder is another. a legal term. Okay, he murdered. Uh, <laughs> he killed two, two people. people. Shot yeah. two people. He murdered yeah. two people, including <laughs> uh, shooting uh, what at least one or two of them in the back, and he's on trial now. Mm-hmm. And the victims. 
which I'm not supposed to say either because the judge in this case is a complete and utter moron. Actually, no, that is a universal. Let me tell that you is a universal. Truth rule. is truth. They did. They did nothing mm-hmm. to. They did not shoot at him. You, but you do not know that they, they did nothing. They were minding their own businesses See, we're going to have a debate protesting. here. We're going to have a debate about co- court coverage. You it, know what? She is married to a lawyer, so she thinks she knows all no, the legal stuff. Here I am, a citizen, only half informed, and yet she is going to argue with me. Yes. Okay, I know what you're saying. Yeah. All right. It's like saying an alleged murder. I get that. Yeah. All right. However, I am going a little bit overboard here because I got uh, I, I To me, honestly, just I, I know I'm being wrong here. I, I, I absolutely do. But... As a black person, seriously, this is this is this is where I'm coming from with this, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, a jury of eleven white people and one black person. Yes. The judges said that you can't call the people victims. The ju- you, you can you have to call him an alleged murderer, or if you, if you say that at all, you can't say that. Yeah, and, and you can't say it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So everything is in his favor. He walked across a state line, and he illegally went afterwards after he had this killing spree. He. He drank alcohol illegally. He did so many illegal things, but yet he is getting every benefit of uh, of our uh, judicial, uh, our jurisprudence uh, system. And yet, the people who are the victims, whether you want to call them that or not, because that's what they are they they're not here to uh, two of them aren't here to speak for themselves. I think it's it's it is um, a perversion of uh, legal justice to have a situation like this occur, certainly in the 21st century, because this is this reminds me of everything that ever happened uh, in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. and before, you know, sure. because okay. they stacked all the odds in the favor of the people whom they favored. And that is white dudes. Yeah, I think the jury selection process where eight black jurors were eliminated because they, and the judge allowed it. Yeah, no, no, he didn't and just he allow knew it. That they were doing yeah. what they were doing. Yeah. So, so, but I, Shame I will say him. this. But I, I want to start by saying I hate that you put me in the position of defending a person like Kyle Rittenhouse. But that you is don't what have to. You can just no, let no, me no, go no. My I do have to because that is what our criminal fairness. Ju- what is that? That is what our criminal justice system does. It protects the people we think are human garbage that we think do not deserve anything, and it protects them because. The criminal justice system also protects us if we get accused of something. Do or, they, though? Yes, it does. Absolutely. So are there systemic issues, uh, especially racism? Absolutely, there are. But And, and I don't disagree. The A lot selection, of sexism in it, too, there, sister. No, but the but the sexism at times is actually works in favor of women. There, mm. there's a lot of that's a different Sexual conversation. Sexual cases it never does. That that's a different conversation. But for me, the the thing to remember as I watch bits and pieces, and I have not sat down and watched this case, um, is how much is going on that we don't see. I've covered these court cases. Dave's covered these. Jason's covered these. When you're sitting there for eight hours a day watching stuff there's so much that happens you have to decide what's the most important what's the most consequential and that's all you're getting and so we are making these judgments based on these little bits and pieces and i will tell you that the reason you're not allowed to call someone a victim in a in a case is because it presumes guilt and in this country i tried to explain this to my daughter the other day and she got mad at me you are innocent until a court, until the government proves you are guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. We can argue, and I will agree with you most of the time, about the systemic racism that exists. But the bottom line is that standard is it is gold. We got to cling to that like a life raft because it uh, it keeps 
the government that has all the resources and all the power from running roughshod over individuals. And I feel like though they do it all the time because only a few cases ever get to trial. And, and pr- prior to that, they do plea deals, which totally all of what you just yes. said goes completely out the window. Yeah. And that's what I said. We uh, will agree on a lot of systemic issues. Uh, our state just passed a. Uh, a, ref- a bail reformation um, law that's going to be huge. It's going to really help people who are very disadvantaged by the system. Um, some by race, some by socioeconomics. But it is, and it's actually going to get to our people a danger because you shouldn't be sent to jail without them proving it just because you're poor, right? So there, but, but I just think reporters who are not covering this or maybe they're just they're getting bits and pieces are tweeting out aspects of it that are misleading and there are um discussions happening from people like me and you that are not we don't know we're not lawyers we don't know and so i feel like just i am not a fan of what kyle rittenhouse did taking a gun crossing state lines um he went from illinois to wisconsin mm-hmm. to Kenosha. Go, you know, so he's like, from illinois but the case is happening in madison yeah, and 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 there were other people there. I I've been to these protests. I've seen the people carrying guns, and I just think this is there. We really probably need to have a discussion about how much worse things are going to get after this uh, all across oh, the yeah. board. Well, I think one of the interesting things, though, is the way we, all three of us, having mm-hmm. covered trials in the past, uh, it's changed so much because of the prevalence of video. With this Rittenhouse case, yeah. I think many of us saw that video. Immediately after the event happened, we probably made judgments in our own minds based Mm -hmm. on what we saw, what we think took place based on that. And that's a very different situation than maybe in years past when I'm thinking like something like the the OJ trial, right, where Mm -hmm. that trial is covered uh bonkers beginning to end because everyone's glued to it because every motion every movement before that they didn't have so much of the information right like now in the public we get so much of that before a case ever gets to trial Mm -hmm. and and so you have factions who are watching the trial already prepared to be outraged outraged or to applaud the outcome we're not listening to it to absorb factual information or to say oh wow that's not what i thought took place we don't right? think there's anything new for us right there, right? right like we're, we're we, you can't tell me anything i've already made my mind up i do think one other issue that will come out of this trial and and maybe the Ahmad arbery case as mm. well which is happening simultaneously is that um this idea that you get to kill someone if you're scared like you put yourself in a bad position you go i mean if that was the standard i could have killed a lot of people in my time because as a woman walking around downtown by myself there've been plenty of times where i've been scared <laughs> well and and here's an interesting point it largely went unnoticed but the state of utah actually changed its law uh within the last year regarding shooting or killing somebody in self-defense mm-hmm. uh, and they placed the burden of proof on the prosecution so it used to be that if you uh, killed somebody and you were charged with murder and you went to trial it was on you to prove that it was self-defense that has changed the burden of proof is now on the prosecution so if you go and say well you're charging with with murder but i killed this person in self-defense the prosecution now has to prove that it wasn't for that case to go forward. So we're we're in a period in our country where these the forces are changing. Well, and I think you hear a lot in these officer-involved shootings, right, where people will say uh, the officer feared for his life or he feared for the life of other people. Now I'm hearing this in the Rittenhouse thing. I was afraid. I was scared. Well, you're he's 17 years old. 
He's in this crowd of people. There have been times where I've been in a crowd where I thought this is not going to end well, right? So I, but I am an older person. I have experience. And I just wonder now, like, is it going to be okay? Because we all have open care everywhere. And, you know, it, to just shoot people because you're scared. And I, I, I think it's going to be, this is going to be dissected and I, I it will absolutely be appealed regardless of what happens it may not even get to the end it, it may, may we may even have a mistrial yeah. i think the judge's phone went off and somebody pointed out that music it was a is, song from yeah. the trump uh opening yeah. yeah well you know that trump also uses but I, I mean i think there are just so many little things that people are dissecting and looking at that i just this but i for me as a person who values sort of some elements of the criminal justice system and would like to see us reform others I worry about what 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 we respond to, like what we latch on to. Like honestly, we- Amy, I'm you and this whole idea of civil dialogue <laughs> and fairness. I'm, I'm I'm really having a hard time with that right now. When we come back, I want to go back to my diatribe. I don't, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think it has something to do with uh, again civility and equity. What what show is this? Oh, Voices of Reason. Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson, Voices of Reason, back with Dave Colley, uh, host of Cold. We're going to hurry up and do this last one because we've run over a couple of times here. Uh, We want to talk a little bit about something that's going on locally. Uh, They've changed the name of a state school that previously had been called Dixie State University. Yes, I know. Dixie in the far west or inner mountain west. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense other than... Part of the reason it was called Dixie was because they used to pick cotton mm-hmm. down in uh, uh, southern Utah. And so, you know, they they are some of those folks. And there were slaves. And there were yeah. slaves. Mm-hmm. But it it is over the years, even the fact that it became tradition, and you know how this goes, people really cling on to their traditions despite the fact that they have... Uh, be- well, let's just point out their, their state. Their mascot was a rebel. The Confederate flag was part of their uh, their colors. Yep. They're their red and gray. And then also their yearbook until the 90s was called the Confederate. So just FYI, it, there are ties to, you know, traditional Dixie slavery racism. That's right. And so they and a lot of people said it's a hindrance to them. And that was part of the discussion. I wondered as I listened to this debate that was sometimes reasonable and sometimes really out there. Um, would there have been this kind of fervor and, you know, crying and weeping and wailing about the loss of Dixie as the name of the university if they had just said, you know, we think we're we're kind of focusing on tech and we want to move towards naming ourselves something different and not said it was because of the racism attached to the word Dixie. I wonder if things might have gone differently. I think you would have seen it be Dixie Tech University, right? I think people would have still hung okay. on to that. Name. So you had to address the racism. I think yeah. you have to. And 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 let's be honest, this has been a process, right? We see this story come up every few years because when they do want to change the mascot or something, we have this exact same debate. And what is happening year over year over year is you're just making the incremental. So rather than completely disassociating the university and in not just the university, but I mean, you've seen Intermountain Healthcare change the name of yep. their hospital to, to from Dixie regional Dixie, to Intermountain yep. regional. Yeah. Yeah. yeah St. Yeah. George. Yeah. yeah. So, so 
these steps are being taken piece by piece and every step along the way, it seems like we're having this debate over and over again. Well, and I think what people need to remember is outside of Utah, Dixie might have a different connotation. So to me, as a person who grew up in Alaska, the whole Dixie thing didn't, it didn't really, um, I didn't know about all this. I didn't know about the name of the yearbook and the colors and stuff like that. So I, I was educated on it. But I think over time, it. I've been persuaded like ah, it outside of Utah, it does have a different connotation. It does have a different um, attachment and I don't have a problem with them changing it. I I don't feel that, um, I guess, loss of culture. Uh, I think um, you should ask yourself, like, what part of your culture do you want to honor? What part? I mean, there's definitely some things in my family history I don't want us celebrating. (laughs) And then there are parts I want, I really want everyone to know. Right. I think that's sort of where we're at with it. So we're joined uh, now uh, in the last little segment with by the horse host of Inside the Horse. The horse, you call me a no, horse behind now. Are you Jason? Inside Sources, Boyd Matheson. So, Boyd, um, your thoughts on uh, the, finally the, the name changing and and kind of the dialogue the leading up to it that, yeah. that you know created this kind of uh, fervor because folks. There are a lot of folks who really believe that it should have stayed the same. Yeah, and and I'm one of those that uh, if you if you really look at what we're trying to honor, mm-hmm. uh, what you what you're honoring is the trailblazing, pioneering spirit. Uh, and if there's anything that epitomizes that, it's change. It's adapting to the circumstances. It's adapting to the environment and moving forward. Uh, as a pioneer, y- you couldn't hold on to anything that was no longer of value or anything that was slowing you down. You have to discard that and and move forward. And so I actually think the name change may be the best way uh, to honor that region and uh, those people who settled there in southern Utah. And so uh, I think it's part of an important process. It has brought up some interesting dialogue, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have kind of retrenched and, and tried to hang on, just some of them just hanging on for hanging on's sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But to me, it, it's more important about what is next. And well, if, if we, it is going to be a an influence, not just regionally, mm-hmm. But nationally, and that really is the vision for that institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't, it's really worldwide. You can't do that. Yeah. yeah, it's really globally, and I think there there are definitely uh, reasons for that. But I wondered. I asked these guys a question, and your thoughts on this. What if this had been uh, a conversation that began with, "Hey, we're having this global. We're going towards tech. Yeah. Should we change the name to reflect that, rather than?" addressing our racist past <laughs> racist you know uh, do you think it would have been a different conversation yeah it, it's always interesting to, to look back and see how conversations begin mm-hmm. uh, and I'm less worried about how it began I'm more concerned about where we are and where we go next yeah uh, and I, I think that's the the real critical piece of it yeah I mean I I think this has been uh listening to a little bit of the legislative hearing on this um a good example of the pros and the cons of public dialogue. Like mm-hmm. there have been some people I thought if this is a way we could engage on emotional uh, topics, it, it would be this would we would all learn a lot. Yeah. And then there have been some situations and some of them come from our lawmakers where I think this is not helping mm-hmm. And this. And how do we uh, but it kind of goes back to what you said, Jason, is. Are you willing, like in the very beginning, the the Black Lives Matter sign or the Trump sign, right? Um, Are you willing to listen to why I feel the way I feel? Or do you just want to tell me why I should change my opinion to match yours? (laughs) Last thing, uh, we're we're recording this on Veterans Day. And we... A lot of people like it because it's a holiday, but I, I always feel like we, we miss the point of why we're doing this. And we're trying to uh, call attention to the people who served our country, who give us the opportunity to, to have freedom to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go around real quick. Uh, we only got a couple of minutes. Uh, Dave, your thoughts on 
Veterans Day and, and kind of what it means to you and how you'd like to see it observed? I, I directly I look at my own family. You know, I grew up the son of an Air Force and Air National Guard pilot. Uh, I always look to my own father as my kind of exemplar. I remember very much when I was young and he was deployed in uh, Desert Shield in Saudi Arabia. And so the way that I like to recognize Veterans Day is just to personally thank my father and others who I know who did serve for taking that time. Um, I think oftentimes, you know, we focus a lot on combat veterans, but there are so many others associated. Also, uh, you know, there are people in civilian support of of military who sacrifice very much as well. So just looking for those around me in my world who, who uh, have served, who are serving or who are considering serving and just saying thank you. Boyd? You know, I, I love that Dave brought up this connection. Less than 1% of Americans now have a direct Isn't connection to someone in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that disconnect worries me uh, yeah. because you you lose a lot of that. And a, and a society uh, that forgets uh, those kinds of things uh, is in danger of losing a, a lot more. Uh, and I think one of the things we have to recognize, too, is that, you know, we honor best those that have served by living our lives with excellence today. That's that's kind of our job. And so why we often focus on thanking the veterans, which we must do. We need to make sure we give them, you know, real clear objectives, that they've got the right tools, that when they come home, we keep their promises to them or we keep promises to their families when they don't. Uh, but we also need to remember that this is a, a we the people issue as well. And it's a day for us to reflect on why it is that we have the freedom to do fun things like this and important mm-hmm. conversations like this, they don't happen uh, unless someone is willing to square their shoulders. Uh, we always say we stand on the shoulders of giants. The only reason we can stand on those shoulders, especially our military members, is because they were willing to square them in really difficult times. 30 seconds. Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to first honor my dad, a Vietnam veteran who volunteered and uh, uh, has taught me throughout my life that uh, John F. Kennedy's uh, what not do not ask what your country can do for you. You ask what you can do for your country. And that means your community. And that means that every day you look for ways to serve people. And I have uh, looked at his life as a model for my own. And I will say this, that um, veterans who served continue to serve in continue to sacrifice in ways that uh, I would encourage you to join organizations like team red white and blue civilians can be part of that and support ask people to go to get a lunch uh, coffee whatever when bills come up that pay for benefits for veterans including hearing aids or Mm -hmm. you know they're doing a study right now on specific cancers for um, guys who have sicknesses from the middle east Um, support those measures and um, and again just look for ways to serve in your community I want to say thank you to my father who's not hearing this because he won't wear his hearing aid. I'm really mad at him for that. But, uh, we both have the same dad. That's true. His, his, uh, his brothers and relatives of mine and friends of mine who served, I am always grateful to you and your sacrifice is never taken for granted. I, I promise you that. Thank you so very much. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at VOR at uh, V-O-R-M-E-D at gmail.com or V-O-R-Jason-L at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at AD on Sports and at Jason Lee One. Our show's Twitter handle is at V-O-R Podcast. Check out our Facebook page and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast in all the places you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love that, getting your feedback, and also it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, along with Amy Donaldson, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. 
Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.